Alright, welcome back, Toasting Design, Chaka Shekman, Michael Bo, just the two of us today. And today we're going to be looking at TRIZ and its application, or the way at least we apply it in engineering design. But first, let's get into some of the basics, just as a recap. Alright, to set the scene for what a, a design is, and remember design is not the report thing, it's the work that you do. Yeah. To do this thing called design, you have to first work out what the problem is in, in glorious detail. Um, we're not going to be covering that today. So even though TRIZ, T-R-I-Z, stands for the Theory of Inventive Problem Solving in, uh, in Russian, um, it's not actually very good at problem solving, um, but we'll get to that. Yeah. The next thing to do is, is to understand where you are in this map of design and that there are three different levels to design, the highest level down to the lowest level. There are levels of detail from not very detailed to very highly detailed and there are things which are not very complex all the way through to things which are unbelievably complex and that forms a nice little matrix of things which are not very difficult and not very detailed and don't require a huge amount of work those are the things that require huge understanding to try and figure out what they are once you've got those designing something which is in the low low level design that's highly detailed that's highly complex that's actually pretty easy. Um, the next thing to do is to think about design considerations. Now, typically students get the whole problem solving and design considerations completely muddled up. The words that we throw and students want to use in reports are task is given, task is understood, literature survey, and then you end up with this thing called a PRS or for third and fourth years, a URS. Yeah. Actually, if you think about it, Problem solving and design considerations covers all of that stuff. Exactly. Um, there shouldn't really be separate sections. So you basically have the solving the problem and then design considerations. Yeah. So design considerations, uh, as sort of I've come up with definitions, are functions and features. And functions, if we throw words at them, are actions, um, verbs, if you like. Yeah. Um, and then the features are the concepts that allow for that action to happen. Exactly. And tris is pretty good at allowing you to come up with concepts that allow for that action to, to happen. Exactly. So what should we dive into as our first? Okay, so I've drawn up a series of... Should we maybe explain Triz first? Yeah, I guess we... Yeah, okay. So, I mean, we'll, well, we'll go through them today. I mean, yeah. maybe we'll actually just, you know, come up with a problem and then just randomly pick one of the, the 40 rules. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm sort of seeing that's the way it's going to happen. Um, the rules that we're referring to, we've got a nice little diagram, nicely printed out. You, if you go to Wikipedia, you look up TRIZ, T-R-I-Z, um, there is a nice diagram you can get a copy of there. There are also textbooks that cover these 40 rules. Um, it's quite well documented. It's quite popular, I guess you could say. Um, and so each of these rules then are broken down to basic, basic, what, principles? F physics principles, yeah. Physics principles. Physics principles, um, or even certain actions, well, not actions, certain um, methods. Um, if you consider the first one being division. Yeah, so division, um, it's also defined as the principle of segmentation. It's basically to take up the thing that you've got and then break it up into a variety of parts. Um, you might do that for a variety of reasons. So this coffee plunger right in front of me is made up of four parts. The shaft, the screen, the lid, and the base. Mm -hmm. um, if any one of those was to break, you can take them all apart. You could replace it, put it back together. Um, you think about a clutch pencil. Clutch pencil is just dividing what a good old-fashioned pencil used to be and 
eliminating the sharpening aspect yeah. um, and then dividing um, bits and pieces up. What was your favorite toy as a kid? Would be Lego. Lego is an example of division. Is taking yeah. things up where you can build. You can build a bigger structure using much smaller, smaller objects. Exactly. I mean, if you think about what a building would look like if walls were pre-manufactured as single components, how many different molds or whatever would you have to have at the wall factory? Yeah. Um, break it down into bricks. Yeah. I mean, if mold. bricks were any smaller than standard bricks, um, I guess it would be clumsy. Sure. Well, it's inefficient. If you look at the scale size of the buildings, bricks that are any smaller, it doesn't add any benefit having them be yeah. any smaller. So, I mean, what we're going to try for the rest of today is basically just, I don't know, let our creative uh, <clears throat> inner design hooligans yeah. loose uh, at, at a couple of actions or problems or things that have gone wrong. Um, and I'm just going to steal Mr. Sheckman's favorite word. The caveat to Triz is that it's only really good when you're in sort of detailed designs. If you are hanging a jet engine in a really weird way for a really weird application, let's call it a, um, a car that's going to go at a thousand miles an hour across the desert in South Africa, you're not going to be able to use standard fasteners of aircraft because they're not designed for that. You cannot use anything from automotive racing because they're not designed for it. You have to come up with new stuff. Yeah. And we're only so creative. In fact, engineers with great experience are generally not creative when it comes to new stuff. Yeah. There's that sort of resistance to change. And TRIZ was basically invented by the Russian Navy to try and keep their fleet operating just after World War II ended. Um, all right. So pick okay. So let's start the, the first one. Uh, so maybe go for a bit of a backstory before any single one of them. Uh, let's say, for example, you have designed a vehicle now, and it's a small little compact passenger vehicle, and you realize you need to fit a full spare size tire inside of it. But oh, no right. Instead space. of the good old fashioned Mari biscuits. Exactly. So. Within the size limitations, what rule can we then apply of the 40? Oh, why do you, uh, why do cars have that little half-size? Uh, because it's just there to get you to the next station or to the next repair so your main yeah. tire can then be replaced. True. So, well, and that's the thing. Is do you actually need it? Do you actually need to go for the large tire? You need to kind of necessitate that. So it depends on the application of the vehicle and its intended purpose. Used just within the city, no, you should be fine. There's yep. plenty of option. You're operating out in the middle of nowhere. Okay, now you're too far. You need that extra full tire. But at least when you do have the half-size tire, you're forced to try, drive sort of more slowly and more carefully. So. Exactly. Mm. Um, so let's assume, at least in the context of this, that you actually do need to have that, that, that full-size tire within the way of, without compromising and making your design no longer compact or losing space in your luggage or making people no longer able to sit in your vehicle because you've got a tire underneath you or having a very uncomfortable ride at the very least. Um, yeah, so there are 40 rules here and they come, I mean, all sorts of things. So, yeah. I mean, if, if I just look at rule number, rule number six, sorry, eight, which is the principle of a counterweight, it's also defined as anti-weight. Yeah. So let's think about this. Um, have you lost your front tire or your rear tire? Ooh, okay, I like where they're thinking. Let's assume it's a front wheel yeah, drive car and you've lost tire, the yeah. back tire. Yeah, yeah. All right. If you've lost the front tire, put the you know move all the wheels around so you end up with proper size wheels on your driving ones. Yeah, yeah. Brakes off. Yes, yeah. And put the 
you know, half size thing on, on, on the back, for example. Um, but if you were to use the anti-weight to deal with the problem of keeping yeah. the, the, the small tire, what, what have you got as ideas for a counterweight or anti-weight? Let's assume you were in an emergency okay. and you had to keep going at 120 on the freeway, but your spare tire says 80. Well, you don't let your car rest on that spare tire. So you rest, you what, moving all weight into the opposite corner onto your good, like, so opposite corner yes. size tire. Um, Keeping the steering, the power and the brakes on the full size tires. You could exactly. use the counterweight to basically unload that tire. So, I mean, the 80 kilogram or 80K an hour rating on a tire is a function of load and more a function of load, I guess, than anything else. So I've then really incorrectly defined the problem. And the problem isn't that we need to fit that full-size tire. The problem is that once we have a flat, we need to still be able to, after replacing it, maintain the full top speed of the vehicle. And I would say that would be one concept, is if we did have a problem that there was this, this half-size tire, if we stuck with it as our original high-level concept, yeah. we could use a counterweight so that, okay, well, who cares? You gave us a half-size tire. We're yeah. just going to do this and carry on as normal. Right, we're now the designers for a car company. We want to compete. We want to make sure we do have a full-size sure. tire. Um, but there are obviously space reasons for why we've gone for it. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're selling 10,000 cars a month or manufacturing 10,000 cars a month, it's cheaper to put on full-size tires than to order a few Exactly, yeah. A few things. Um, what about the, potentially the use of pneumatics and hydraulic solutions? Rule 29. Rule 29A or B? Well, this in our textbook, we've just got as one. And yeah. then A and B is... My thought, I mean, so you potentially have the thing where you have within the vehicle a very small tire. As you pull it out, it inflates into a larger size tire. Yeah. Um, so you're designing a very specialized... Okay, it, it, it's not necessarily ideal, but you're no longer dealing with a Mario biscuit. You're now dealing with a normal wheel, just specialized. Yes, you could certainly do that. Um, I'm just trying to find the rule for it. Okay, so my brain's jumped into another concept. Cool. I'm not just trying to find the uh, embedded structures, local quality. I guess it's division. What happens okay. if, you know, you've seen the back of a truck, we end up with two truck tires bolted ah, next to each other. Yes. So for space, you could literally distribute two Mari biscuits in different places over a car. And then all you have to do is you just have to sandwich them together when you put them back and you've basically got yourself... Yeah, full size, a full size tire for that. And so with this, I mean, alone, we would now come up with at easily three very, very unique concepts that you're not necessarily seeing out there. Yes. And again, they're concepts, they're ideas. These are not the definitive, exactly the final product. And, and I guess we've we've come up with these three different ideas because, well, what exactly was that problem? And and if I mean, if the problem was main, try and maintain speed in emergency situations if you do have a flat and you've got um, a speed-limited tire, we'd come up with concepts on how to basically unload that tire or, or whatever it is because yeah. we're fixed with the tire. We can't do anything about exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. If it was a case of what is the ideal sort of spare for the space constraint on the vehicle, we'd then have you know things which can be assembled. Yeah, or... Opposite uh, rule seven, the nesting principle. Yes. Tires within tires. Tires within tires, a good old-fashioned Russian doll. In fact, if you think about it, a run flat is exactly that. Yeah. It's another whole feature which does it sits by and does nothing within another structure. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, cool. We're going to move on to another problem? Yes. All right, sweet. Uh, okay, so you have been tasked with designing a super low energy use oven. So minimize energy usage, heat loss, so on and so forth. However, during the cooking process, you need to, whether it's turn over your food or reposition or rotate, do that without having to open the door. Mm. Not sure if the, necessarily the problem is necessarily defined well as an or minimize energy loss. All right. So, I mean, are we talking about a super, I mean, the principles of thermodynamics, right? We can yeah. use radiation, we can use convection, we can use conduction. Conduction would be cooking it on a stove sure. using direct contact heat. An yeah. oven is then a mixture of radiation and convection. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So, we need to keep the heat. With, so obviously, need to insulate the living hell out of this. Yeah, thing. yeah. It, it's let's assume at this stage you have devised a way that, provided the door is closed at least to start with, it is great. The first thing I would get rid of is the actual door itself. Yeah, that's simply funny. because any form of glass, double glazed or whatever, does emit. I mean, you can feel it. Yeah. Um, if you think about modern cameras, why the hell is there a door that you can see? Why is there a light inside? Yeah. You could literally put it in a thermal camera. And exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. All right, fine. So we, we make sure this thing is completely heat tight. Nothing, yeah. nothing comes in, nothing goes out. Um, we then have to flip this. What kind of feed is this? Sort of, I mean, well, I mean, I do. Roasting a chicken or yeah, something. Yeah, let's say something like that. Yeah. Or a delicious Vitz pigeon. <laughs> uh, okay, so we have to, we have to, <laughs> to turn the thing over. I mean, admittedly, if the airflow is absolutely properly done, the thing being cooked should be suspended so he can get to it all around, right? True. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I was thinking maybe it's say you're doing you're roasting vegetables or something like that. Okay. So you, you want to. Okay. Right. You know you need to rotate them so they don't brown too much on one side. All right. I go for rule number ten: uh, preliminary action. Okay. Cool. So basically, that's sort of like presetting a mouse trap. Okay. So you basically. I'd, I'd make it just a very simple um, mechanism. You trigger it with a, a button on the front or something. Okay. Um, you then insert your whatever you're cooking, and then just based on a I don't know mechanical release or whatever, it would trigger at a certain stage of the cooking okay, process. So you wouldn't day. have to open the door. Perfect. So it's okay. like putting a mouse trap behind a wall. You just wait for the thud, and you know that it's it's happened. In terms of that actual rotation, how would you achieve that? Oh, I see. Let's use another Triz So, thing. we sold the principle, okay, we can get around the idea of not having to open the door. We, we can use okay, timers. Okay, so, so we, we can use the pre-timing Triz rule. Set it beforehand, so to keep yeah. it simple. Sure. All right. Um, what if we use rule 30? Flexible films, foils, and membranes. Okay. So, you, you've got something that... It is underneath what you're cooking. Uh -huh. So by the time what you're cooking heats up to a certain temperature, heat basically causes the film to form this weird, weird Thing, shape, which, which basically rolls roll. everything either 45 Brilliant. or 490 or something like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then when it's cool, it returns to its normal shape. Exactly. I mean, car indicators work on a biometallic strip. Um, all you'd have to do is just make sure this is under the food. And not affected by the overall heat. You'd probably have to create a, a variable length because as it rotates, it'd be cool and then cause it to deflate again and then roll back to the original point. And it'll be this kind of top. Although at that point, theoretically, you'd be turning continuously. 
which might be the ultimate. You'd create like a sort of rotisserie. You could do a, a sort of rotisserie. I would actually use go back to rule number seven, the embedded structure. And I would take these little strip things sure. and I would do a zero ninety weave. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. And, and then I would just make it that depending on what you were cooking, you'd put in a different size weave. Yeah. So if you're cooking chunks of butternut, for example, you'd put in a weave that's, I don't know, inch by inch. Mm -hmm. um, if you're cooking, I don't know, peas, who the f*** roasts? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, no, you, you, you put yeah. in a basic difference, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. A, a different thing, but you could certainly use, use something like that. All right, cool. Yeah, I can't see anything else. We don't go rule 34, discarding and recovering. It's not quite how cooking works. Um, well, it all depends on what you're discarding. What do you think? Almost like a, like a baking paper sort of thing. That... No, I'm just thinking like from the complete physics point of view. So, I mean, what, what we're trying to do is, and I mean, thermodynamics is that weird thing. If you put something hot in the fridge, yeah, the, the fridge is trying to suck the heat out of, sure. out of it. If you put it in the oven, though, it's all around. Um, you're basically trying to s effectively suck the cold out of, out yeah, of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you were to use the word discarding um, on a, a heat a heat point of view, like an absolute mega blast of something, like literally use a plasma wave to preheat, like literally you get the air up to, I don't know, eight 900 degrees C for like in pulses. Yeah. Um, that could be a completely different way of cooking things. And I just thought of another idea. Now I need to find the... Okay, the idea is, instead of moving the food, move the oven. So adjust your heating side to suddenly be on the opposite end. Or yeah, whether it's you sandwich your cooking stuff in, you know, you have one, you know, it's cooking on one plate, another plate comes down and cooks on that one. Maybe, yeah, maybe I mean, some I mean... sort of embedded structure. So the, the cooking plate has a grill underneath it or in it. And then that lifts up to aerate underneath and the other plate then comes down and squashes on. What, what if you, I mean, if, if you imagine in an ideal world, um, you slap your steak down in this thing to grill it, mm. um, but it basically, the steak basically sits on an air cushion. Yeah. Um, or, or even one of those like uh, super fancy playground, uh, like kid gyroscope things. Yes. You know, we end up with this thing and then the basic heating elements spin around it. Um, yeah. Okay, so there's, you could literally go buck wilds. Um, I don't think we've deviated too far from it, but no. we've certainly gone from, okay, the oven is now fixed into the kitchen. It could now be a real cool looking thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I mean, you know, the, the, the thing is all ovens still have a flipping glass thing that you can, you can see into it. And you think, oh, exactly. you know, with the millennials of today, um, why not have that thing beam to your phone so that when you're sitting on the couch watching Game of Thrones, you can see what's happening? We are assuming it doesn't happen already. We are assuming uh, it doesn't happen already, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Defy or Samsung or someone has an oven that... I yeah, mean, the, yeah, I guess. The thing is, is your... I mean, cameras don't tend to like heat. It wouldn't be the easiest design principle. But then I guess you have those thermal cameras that look into ovens and stuff for yeah, um, you composite research. And yeah, furnace treatments. Exactly, that's the word I was using. Yeah. All right. All right, pick another. Pick another or we're going to move on, call this one quits and start the next. We can call this one quits. All right, cool. So that's one done. We'll put this one out. I'm going to call this one podcast number eight. Uh, we're now moving just for your own curiosity. We're going to move these to two a week. Um, one on the Monday I'll put out and I'll put another one out 
the next week, Friday. Uh, in terms of putting these out on a podcast-type site, we are looking into that. Um, it just comes down to storage and online um, hosting uh, more than anything else, and then certain IP requirements and things like that that we need to be a bit careful of. But as soon as that's done, we'll move it on to it so it's more easy for you to listen to these. Thanks very much. I'll see you in a couple of days then. Cheers.